0: Sermon will be on parenting. We're going to finish off our time together in Proverbs on the idea of parenting. On April twenty fourth, two thousand two, Amy and I sat in the front seat of our Camry, in the front seats, in the driveway of the RMC um, Women's. Was the twenty fifth? Twenty? I know the twenty second when she was born. We're going home. The twenty fourth. We're sitting in the driveway of RMC, Women's and Children's Pavilion, and uh, we are are there now sitting with what I understand as shock. Um, You might even call it post-traumatic stress syndrome. (laughs) At that time, I would have just told you it was sheer panic. Because two days earlier, we had welcomed Hannah Grace into the world. She's now 11 with this joy and excitement which I have never experienced uh, before that time. I've experienced it now a few times over. But There's really nothing like it. Um, but on this day, on the 24th, we're overwhelmed. A nurse wheeled Amy out, holding the baby, helped her in the car, helped the baby be buckled in, made sure I knew what I was doing, at least at that point. And, and then she said, Y'all have a nice time. Hope everything goes well. And she just turned to walk back in. And now we're sitting, me behind the driver's wheel, Amy at the pasture side. And then we began our journey home, which at that time was a long way. As Rod said, you almost had to have a passport and switch off drivers to get to our house uh, on Jam Back Road. And we drove literally 25 miles an hour because we were under the impression that she might break if we went the speed limit or definitely if we went faster than the speed limit. And we began to discussed together almost in tears the fact that we felt completely incapable of what we were called to do. We, we had no idea. Now we had read the books and we had listened to all the stories of other parents but somehow this was going to be different than any child that had ever come onto the planet and that we were convinced of that and it really began what I say is the most sanctifying endeavor on earth and that is parenting marriage is sanctifying parenting is 10 times that right I mean when you think about the task that we're called to in the scriptures and just in general it's impossible it really is overwhelming it's impossible and it feels as if no one could ever do this Today I want us to look at the book of Proverbs one last time in this series and gain some perspective and some encouragement on the life work of parenting. And I put those two together on purpose because parenting is a life work. Both it consumes your life now and until you're off the planet. It's a lifetime work and it is work. It is not all fun and games. And... I think that God has designed it this way. I think it's obvious from the implicitness of the scriptures that God has designed this so that we can display to our children His character. As godly parents, His desire is that our children, from their first breaths, see pictures of the Heavenly Father. Not perfect. Not complete, but between the man and the woman, the father and the mother. There is to be this saturation of the character of God into our children's lives. It gives them the narrative, what we might call a meta-narrative. The overall story of life that they need to see so that they are ready, primed for the work of the Holy Spirit to convert them to Christianity, to bring them into personal relationship with Him. He has designed it in such a way that it's impossible, as I said, to do it in your own strength. But it is very possible that He does it through us in His strength. To paint this picture, to put together this story that is really astounding when you step back and look at the whole tapestry of the painting. This message is for everyone that's here today. You say, "Well, I don't. I'm not even married. I'm single. I'm in college. There's no better time to start hearing and learning about parenting than when you're not married." Okay, you need to already be thinking about it. I, in all of my pre-engagement, which is what I prefer, or pre-marriage, which is what I usually end up with, counseling, I have extended discussion about parenting. You say, "You're killing the joy of honeymooning." I'm not saying i got to get pregnant on the honeymoon. I'm just saying, you got married, and one of God's purposes in general in marriage is to bring another generation into the world, procreation. And we need to be thinking about it from before the time we're married, thinking about it when we get married, and we definitely need to be thinking about it the whole time we're raising children. Everyone is in focus here, both the unmarried, the young marrieds, the toddler parents, the adolescent teenager parents, and even empty nesters who have adult children, the sermon today is even for you. So it's really for everybody. Let's look at the Word of God for a few moments together and um, look at our need. First of all, our need for godly parenting The goal of godly parenting, the attitude necessary for godly parenting, the discipline of godly parenting, the outcome of godly parenting, and the perfect godly parent. The perfect godly parent. Now, anyone who's been with us long enough knows this may continue next week, right? I mean, we got a seven-point message. And uh, that that I understand. But we're going to get started and see where we go, and we may finish next week. First of all, the need for godly parenting. The need for godly parenting. I think it's obvious, but I just want to state it. Men, if you climb the corporate ladder and you achieve all that can be achieved in your individual field of of expertise. Ladies, if you accomplish the greatest works of home management and of outside the home endeavors with your hands. But you lose your child. You do not become a godly parent. You do not seek to show God's character to your children. What have you really gained? Nobody, and this is an old saying, but nobody laying on their deathbed says, if I could have only worked five more days of overtime, if I could have only finished one more project. If I could have only done, and you fill in the blank. But there are scores of people who lay on their deathbeds saying, Thank God He entrusted me with children. And I have grandchildren or great-grandchildren, whatever the case may be. And a godly heritage to leave behind. And scores and scores of people lay on their deathbed and say, If I had only taking the role of being a parent seriously. If you achieve all these great things in life, and yet you don't discipline yourself to be a godly parent, then I would argue that you've missed life's greatest blessing, and you've failed at God's call in your life in some ways. God uses parenting as a way to impact and to impart soul care to our children. He uses parenting as a way to care for the souls of our children. I want to show you that. Proverbs 1, verse 7 through 9. Let me just put it in the context of this. The book of Proverbs is a father writing to his son. And it is a king who is the father of Israel writing to his children, the Israelites. This is a fatherly book. In some ways we could say, let's preach on parenting from Proverbs. And start reading in Proverbs 1, 1 and go to Proverbs thirty one. Because the whole book, in some ways, is about parenting. But let's look at this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And then he, he continues down through that passage and on into the rest of the book to point out the fact that it is through parents that God often cares for the souls of little children. Look at Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 6. This is showing us the need for godly parenting. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your hearts so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. How is that to happen? Through the godly parenting that goes on in the life of the son. That's how that happens. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. The gospel we could say, is the focus of godly parenting. That passage in in 3, 1 through 6, is going to come up again at the end of the sermon. But I just want you to recognize right here, these are gospel aspects. Notice what he's saying to him. Take what I've commanded you and let it be to you a faithful guide around your neck so that you never forget it, you can see it always, and on your heart. Why? So that you can trust in the Lord. That's gospel language. So that you will not lean on your own understanding. That's gospel language. Right here in the Proverbs about parenting. So that you will acknowledge Him in all of your ways. That is gospel verbiage. That's that's the focus of parenting. Now, the need for godly parenting rises up um, in front of us, and we look at it and we run to one of our favorite passages in the Proverbs, Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. This passage is used always, right? Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I've read this passage and I've looked at this passage, I've studied this passage. It's one of the most famous passages in the Proverbs on parenting. It's whole books have been written, whole curriculums have been written through this one verse to train up a child. But I just want to say that this proverb is one of the most abused Proverbs in all of the book of Proverbs and in all of the ideas of parenting. It's one of the most abused. So I want to do, and it's going to take a little time. We're going to work through this through the Hebrew. I want to help try to dispel some of this misunderstanding what does the hebrew which is the original language actually say to us in proverbs 22 verse 6 in the english we translate it this way and we read it this way all right i want to read it to you the way that we typically read it 22 verse 6 train up a child in the way he should go we, we emphasize the should we make it an imperative statement about parenting. It's a command. Train up the child in the way he should go. And then the result is just as just as sure. When he's old, he will not depart from it. And then we launch off into a command about parenting. But let's look at Proverbs twenty-two fifteen 15 really quickly and see another mistake that gets entered in, I think, to verse, t- verse 6. Verse 15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So some take verse 6 and verse 15 and they make an entire textbook on parenting out of it. They say, You train the child in the way it should go. How do you train the child? You beat them often and early. And then when they're old, they'll do what you told them to do. Well, the reality is that, that what they're actually saying is the way, think about this, what they're actually saying is the way your child will be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ is you will beat them into the kingdom of God. Does that sound very godlike? Does that sound like what the New Testament teaches us about how children come to know our God? Let's look at this again. Let's let's look at it from the Hebrew. Train up. This verse 6. Train up. What does it mean? In the Old Testament, this word is used over and over again for the idea of dedication. So we could have translated this, dedicate a child in the way he should go. Deuteronomy uh, is the first place we see this word used like this, Deuteronomy verse 20. We'll just look at it. two examples of this Hebrew word in other places how it's used, De- Deuteronomy 20 verse 2. Verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 5. Then the officers shall speak. They're talking about war and they're talking about the people here. Then the officers shall speak to the people saying, Is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? It's the exact same Hebrew word as in Proverbs 22, verse 6. Is there any man who has a house that he has not dedicated And then, in in an easier passage even than that to see the use of the word is 1 Kings. 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 8. You're going to have to flip. You're going to have to turn. You're going to have to follow me. There's a lot of scriptures in this sermon. A ton of them. 1 Kings 8, verse 63. Solomon here, dedicating the temple... Verse 63, Solomon offered as peace offerings to the Lord 22,000 oxen, 12,000 sheep. So the king and all the people of Israel dedicated. That's the word we translated Proverbs 22, 6, train up. It's the same Hebrew word. Dedicate the house of the Lord. So we already see possibly some problems with the way we typically translate and talk about this passage. There's already a problem. What is it? The word's initial use had something to do with the initial intended purpose of a thing. What it's actually calling us to is to dedicate this child. To set this child on a path is an idea here. The idea of the verb here, the verb in the Hebrew, is to give a child to the Lord, I believe, and to initiate him well in the things of God so that he may start out on the path towards God, towards righteousness, towards the gospel. The idea here is at the earliest stages, if, if we are gospel-focused, we have begun our child on a good path. If we're gospel-focused in our parenting. Now, I can say the opposite too. And I do want to say that to be clear. If our parenting is authoritarian based, in other words, I am the king and you will bow the knee to me, and it's ruthlessly implied that way, you're also starting your child on a path. And I, through, through the Proverbs we want to see that that path will lead them to hard-hearted rejection often. Of the gospel, of God, and of you. Dedicate this child on the path that leads to God, which is the gospel. Not on the simple outward obedience path that so many, the conformist path that so many want to press the child into. The idea here of according to. Turn up a child in the way or according to the way. According to. It's literally on the mouth of, and it means in accordance with something. So train up a child in accordance with, and then the path, he, the way he should go, in accordance with the way he should go. I want to say that this, I believe that what's in accord, what we're to train them in, or to dedicate them in accordance with is the gospel. His way, this word, his way. The way, the word way, is used 70 times in the book of Proverbs. And it always refers to two things, one of two things. The lifestyle choices of a person or the life path of a person. The daily living of a person in their lifestyle or the overall general direction of a person. That's the way it's used. So, if we've broken this down, we've looked at the words, what's the summation? This verse tells us as parents... That the significant habits and directions of life are started early in life. The direction we set a child in as a baby helps to shape their future direction. That's what the verse is actually telling us. Based on this verse, we begin to see the importance of godly parenting. You say, why do we need godly parenting? Because your child's pathway of life is being set from the birth some would argue, conception of the child forward. It doesn't start when they go through their par mitzvah at 12. It starts at the very beginning. At the very earliest stages, we are communicating. Why is this so? Because at the very earliest stages, we are communicating to this child implicitly. By the lifestyles we lead, they're watching and imitating what it is we're focused toward. And they're learning, that's what my life's about. When we treat them in ungodly ways, we need not be surprised when we see them treating others in ungodly ways. Remember, the Proverbs are speaking about life in general. So I want to say this. This is not a blanket promise, but it's wise counsel. It's not a guarantee, but it is the best way. Would we, the question we have to ask is would we rather train our children in the way of the gospel or would we rather be lazy and, and slide along in life in such a way that spiritually they're not being trained and hope for the best? That's really the idea in this. It's dealing with the fact that we have a a call, an obligation from God, to train, to dedicate our children to the way of God, which is the gospel, and that we should be diligent in that because, generally speaking, that will lead a child into the gospel eventually through the work of the Holy Spirit in general. Not 100% of the time, but would you rather just leave it up to being lazy and letting them pick it their own way? Why is godly parenting needed? Well, because without godly parenting, wisdom towards God lacks. Proverbs 13, Proverbs thirteen, verse 14 makes this clear. Without, God, without godly parenting, godly wisdom will lack in the child's life. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. And Proverbs 15, 24 goes, Again, to say a similar thing. The path of life leads upward for the prudent, that he may turn away from hell or beneath, sheol beneath. So the idea of godly parenting, the need for godly parenting, is to set a gospel pattern for our children so that they will go toward life and not toward death. That's why we need godly parenting. Secondly, what's the goal of godly parenting? So we see the need for it. What's the goal for it? The goal for godly parenting is heartfelt obedience to the Lord. Heartfelt obedience to the Lord. That's the goal. Parents should be pleading with their children to give their hearts to them first as parents. And then, as safe guides, we guide them in the process of giving their heart to God himself. And that intermediate step is so helpful. If a child as a tiny one trusts you and gives their heart to you because they trust that you love them and you are for them and not against them and you are trustworthy as a guide, it increases their pliability to the gospel. If they never trust you, they will forever doubt trust In life, period, in general. It makes it harder for them. It's not impossible, but it makes it harder. Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, verse 26. My son, listen to this plea from this daddy. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways, or let your eyes delight in my ways. The Proverb writer Solomon is saying, look, son, give me your heart, and I will take you on a delightful journey to the one who has made me the way that I am. The godly parent's not all about what that they all have all the answers. The godly parent is all about God has all the answers. And I know the Lord. I have a relationship with him. Now trust me with your heart, and we will journey together to him. If you as a parent don't delight yourself in the Lord, you can't expect to model delighting in the Lord to your children. As a matter of fact, the passage we often read from Deuteronomy about parenting, we often forget the very first words, Hear, O Israel, The Lord your God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Right? Then it gives us, Commands about parenting. And the things which you hear from me, command them to your children or teach them to your children. And then it gives us this teaching paradigm. But we often skip the first part. Before God tells us to teach our children anything, He tells us to love Him. And so often we want to teach, train, rebuke, correct, discipline, spank, get after them, make them conform. But all the while we don't want to be conformed. And we don't want to follow heart after God. And the proverb and the Deuteronomy book is telling us, listen, if you want to be a godly parent, the goal is to get heartfelt obedience, and you can't get heartfelt obedience from your children until often you display heartfelt obedience to God. This is what they, this is so, the purpose of this is so that they can desire a gospel life. They want to be like you. Proverbs 3, 1 through 3. We see the heart of parenting in Proverbs 3, 1 through 3. We see the heart of parenting. Let not... My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Do you see what he's after? And this is this way in all of it. He's not after outward compliance. He's after the heart of his child. So often we, as conservatives, want our children to outwardly conform. But if we're honest, it's all for the wrong reasons. What we should be after in our parenting is that our children's heart are safe with us as we journey towards God. God. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Whose steadfast love and faithfulness? Well, the content here makes me believe the steadfast love and faithfulness is of the Father first. And secondly, that becomes a picture that the child sees the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. The father emulates God in his steadfast love and his faithfulness to his children. So the children give their heart to the father who then as a guide takes them down the pathway of the gospel to God, to Jesus. Because he's traveling this path also. Truly discipline in the gospel home is centered on showing the child that they are totally depraved. That Jesus is totally sufficient. And that repentance from the heart is what God requires. When children are tempted to chase the treasures of this world, godly parenting, the goal of godly parenting, pushes us to display for them that Jesus is the treasure above all treasures. The goal of godly parenting to go after the heart is exactly what God does in his parenting, he goes after the heart. Third, the attitude that's necessary for this godly parenting. The need has been shown, I think. The goal, the overall goal, the heart being submissive in obedience to the Lord is been has been shown. What attitude do we need to display in doing this? Our parenting attitude must be loving persuasion. Isaiah, why? Because, and that's not just my idea, I I remember when I came across this in my study, my reading through, um, the first time I read through the Bible, the year Hannah Grace uh, was born, the first time I read through the Bible after having children, let me say that right, in in 2002, I crossed this verse in the summer, look at Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 1 verses 18 through 20, God speaking to his children. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. I remember like yesterday when that struck me, that what God was calling the people of Israel, His children, to do was to ask Him questions. The, the Hebrew literally means to dispute together. To ask questions. And I, ne- I remember as a child, I was never encouraged to ask my father any question, especially in the area of discipline. Or in the area of a requirement. I was just to submit and do it. And I looked at God's pattern here. Come now, let us dispute or question or reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good food of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I remember how that set me back that God, as the great parent, is calling his children not to unknowingly submit to a rule or an obligation, but rather to question to ask. Why? So that after that wrestling with God, they might submit obediently from the heart and eat the good fruit of the land. His desire for them was to obey. And he quickly told them, if you don't do this, the sword will devour you. Destruction comes. This is the posture of a father in Proverbs, is this pleading with children from a a loving, persuasive heart. Not a dictatorial heart. Proverbs 23. We're going to look at a list here to show you how much this is the case. Because it threw me back this week as I was studying through Proverbs, looking at all these references, and it just it just overwhelmed me. Proverbs 23, 26. Look at the heart attitude of the Father. Look at His heart. The Father's heart. How is He addressing His Son? My Son, give me your heart... And let your eyes observe my ways. So first of all, he's pleading, give me your heart. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garland to your head and pendants to your neck. My son, if your sinner's entice you do not consent. You get the idea here. He's pleading with his son to hear him. He's pleading with his son to give him his heart. Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. He's calling his child to ask him questions. Give me your voice so that you can gain understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. So he's encouraging his son to go on a journey of digging and asking questions and and saying, I don't understand. He's challenging his son to do this. Don't just duck the head and say, yes, sir, and go do it, and don't understand it. Ask me why. Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 4. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my command. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Proverbs 4, verses 10 and 11. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom, I have led you in the paths of uprightness. This loving persuasion just overwhelms that he's calling his son to hear his words and live. Proverbs 1 again, chapter 1, verse 10 through 16. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent with reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will find all precious goods. We will fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one pursuit. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot. From their paths. For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. So he's again pleading with his son. We see Proverbs 4 verse 20 and 23. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance vigilance for from it flow the springs of life so we see he's begging and pleading with his son about his heart proverbs 5 verses 1 through 8 proverbs 5 My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip with honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is like bitter wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth." Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. You notice the long descriptions here? Every time I'm reading a thump, something that the proverb writer is telling his son, he doesn't just put it in one word pithy answers. We often talk the proverbs that way. There's paragraphs of explanation about it, isn't it? He doesn't just simply say, don't go after strange women and move on. He gives the reason for it. He explains himself. He wants his son to understand. Proverbs 6, 1 through 5. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have you given your pledge to a stranger? If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. Here here he goes again. And he goes on a long teaching about how you're to get out of debt and how you're to stay out of pledges that put you in debt. Parenting is a full-time job. We see it all the time from this passages and many more we are always to be persuading our children to obey from their hearts the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in every facet of their life in sex in sexuality in finances in relationships with friends in working and not being lazy and all of these instructions come in paragraphs not in one word sentences without any explanation I, I laugh, my children often s- prefer someone else them than me. And one of the reasons is, is because they say, Daddy takes a long time. Hey, takes a long time. We got to cover it from all angles when Dad sits down with us. And I know they get tired of it, okay? And sometimes I'm probably, I go too far. But the the reason is, is I want them to understand not just what to do, but why they do it. Don't just do it because I told you to do it. That parenting ends when they turn 18 and move out of your house. When you're no longer there to say, don't do this and don't do that and do this and do this and do that and get up and brush your teeth and take a bath and get dressed and wear something presentable and comb your hair and you you just simply giving these pithy commands. When they turn 18, don't be surprised when they show back up and they haven't had a bath in a week, they don't brush their teeth, they're, they're not presentable in any way. You think, what did I do wrong? Well, If you talk to that child often, because I do, they come to me because their parents say, your life's wrecked, go see Carlton. So they come sit down in my office. And as you dig, what you find is, invariably, they thought, well, that was just because I was living at home. I had to act that way because I was at home with my dad. Now I'm on my own. I get to do what I want to do. Really? That's sad, isn't it? Why? There's a lot of reasons for it. But one reason is, is that they never saw the reason, the why, to the do. They just said do. Parenting requires us to tell our children to obey. Sometimes it requires us to tell them that without any explanation. You don't have time to go through 10 jillion reasons why they shouldn't run behind the cars parked in Walmart's parking lot when the the brake lights are on and the reverse signal is on. You can't have a paragraph's explanation. You just have to give a command. So therefore, In your parenting, in your training, you have to teach them to obey immediately, right? I get that. But it's not always there. Sometimes, and most often, the why is explained behind the command. And we should be in such a posture in our hearts, our attitude should be loving persuasion in such a way they know they're free to ask questions. They don't fully understand we want them to understand. So if you here here's here's what I'm saying, and we're going to close with this point. We'll come pick these others up next week. If you live in a world that is without loving persuasion, you can force your children to obey for the short term. In the long run, they will rebel. That's a blanket statement, but it's a pretty broad, good rule. They will go through at least a season of rebellion if you simply Live in the world of no love and all force. The rod of discipline has no place outside of a loving relationship. It has no place. We have to confess it is abusive if it's outside of love. And the only way to build an environment of love is to actually love them. And part of loving them is persuasion, not brute force. I'm bigger than you, so you have to do it. Or else. But rather to sit down, eye to eye, have a conversation, talk through the possible inevitable outcomes, and talk through why Daddy does things the way he does it. And pray a lot. If you always operate out of the world of because I said so, then you're not preparing your child for a life of following God. Because as Isaiah 1 says, in verses 18 through 20, God is reasoning with His children. It's not disrespectful to ask questions. Not always. And this is the toughest part of parenting for me. Okay? Okay? Because my way is always right. And they should just do it because I'm right. That's, That's my attitude. I have to confess that. Isn't it Noah? You can shake your head yes. Right? Yeah. And for some children this is a hard thing because when they ask questions, there's that bite of rebellion. And we can sense it. And sometimes they don't know what it is. And so I understand this is like navigating a minefield. To know this is rebellion and this is simply inquisitiveness. This is simply I don't get it. And this one over here is adamant I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what you say. It's tough. It's not easy. But I'm pleading with you because I think the Proverbs and the whole of the Bible pleads with all of us. to, Because we are gospel men and women and because we are under the love of a father. To Navigate the minefield. Don't reduce it to the basic form of do as I say. Always. Sometimes, yes, but not always. I had one of these conversations with one of my children that will remain incognito. This week, laying on the bed for almost an hour, we just talked through why what happened downstairs was not acceptable and there was a moment in the conversation where we where i saw her it was visible that she finally got it now i understand it was better than any 5 minute discipline session with a belt because she really understood that my heart, at the heart level, was for her to prosper, not to, to fail. And then the aha happened. And you say, gosh, it's an hour. I mean, don't you have something else to do? I mean, there's a sitcom on you're missing. Yeah, I miss a lot of sitcoms, don't you? I miss a lot of the latest and greatest news and shows and episodes and ball games. But it's worth it for my child to understand where the rule comes from and that it's not my rule but God's rule and that it will prosper their life. It's worth it. Now, there are also examples, plenty of them, from this, even this week, where that was not the case for me. It usually happens in the car when I'm driving. There's bad things happening, and at that moment, it's just because I said so. We're not having a conversation. I'm trying to drive, and you're out of control, and I'm done with it, right? We've all seen that, parent. They're driving like this, the road's out here, and we're all ducking. We've all been there. I've been there, okay? You're not, My point is you're not going to be perfect in this, but if the overall tenor of your parenting is loving persuasion, I'm convinced now more than ever that is leading them because they have, they've trusted you with their heart and you're journeying towards Christ for them to journey with you. It's inviting them to go with you to the one who does have all the answers to the one who never fails in his parenting. So much more to say and we will say some of it next week. But I want to just close with this. You sat through this first part of the sermon and you're saying, where is the spanking? Uh, we'll talk about that next week. We will talk about the proper place for corporal discipline. I do believe there is a proper place for it and a proper time for it and a proper way to mete it out. And then we will not just talk about discipline, but we will talk about the results of the parenting, and then we will finish with the perfect godly parent as an example. There is hope. If you've got an 18-year-old or an 18-month-old or you don't even have children yet or your children are out of home with their own children, there's hope. No matter what has happened in your life, there is hope because we serve a God who can overcome and does overcome all of our imperfection. And He is perfect and faithful when we are not.